Father, we thank you for our service. We thank you for the praise and the worship. We thank you, Lord, for all of those that have chosen the good part to come today and participate with us here in service. And we thank you, Lord, for the freedom we have in America to do this. Well, so many people around the world can't do what we're doing right now. They don't have this freedoms, but we do. We thank you for those freedoms, and we uh, praise and give you the glory for it. We thank you, Lord, for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that we will be sensitive to his leading, that we will cover all the material in your word that he wants for us to look at and to glean from today. And I thank you, Lord, that as a result, we'll all have eyes to see and ears to hear and leave the service stronger than when we came in here today in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, we praise you for this, and we give all the glory to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody that agrees with that said together, amen. amen. Okay, everybody, have a seat. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Just let me do this first because I don't want to interrupt what the Spirit of God might want to do later at the end of the service. Thank you for coming today, by the way. Um, There are two things that draw people to church in these last days. One would be the presence of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. The other is free food. So I hope you're here for the first and not for the second. Amen. That's all I'll say about that. But the point is, uh, Pastor mentioned the book, and we didn't bring but five copies because I brought all the other books, and I brought some extra CDs. We don't have all the space to bring as much as we might like because of space constrictions on the airplane. But if we run out of books, we have order forms, and just you know order the book, and we'll send it to you. We'll send it right to your house. These things sell out frequently. And so don't be discouraged if you get back there and the books are gone. They're not gone. There's plenty of them back at the headquarters, and we'll send them right to you. And I would also recommend Pastor Stevens' book, Prophet Stevens' book. He's a prophet here functioning in that office this weekend. That book called Take Heed is his first book, correct? And uh, right fresh off the press, and I've read it. I've read almost all of it. I'm not quite through with it, but almost there, and it's a great book. I'm going to be bringing that with me when I travel around. I'm going to get copies of your book and bring it with me so that people uh, will be exposed to your book even where I go because I want them to read it as much as Pastor mentioned mine. I mentioned yours. We need, you know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Uh, Okay, iron sharpens iron. So you need to surround yourself with people who are sharper than you are because that will help your sword stay sharp or get sharp whichever needs to be done. You need to surround yourself with people, not just of like precious faith, but of like precious passion too. You need it. We need it. I need it. That's why, as I mentioned to those that were here last night, of all the the ministers that I'm friends with, and I'm friends with a lot of people that are in ministry, but in 36 years of full-time work for the Lord, I can count on two hands the number of people that I would turn to in a crisis in my life or when the chips are down and my back is against the wall for whatever reason, and this man right here and this pastor right here, these two are two of those ten. So if this is your home church, you should be on your knees thanking God that this church is in this town. Because let me tell you something, I travel and Prophet Ratod travels too. You don't find this quality of fellowship in most church, in most countries, in most cities, in most towns, even large cities, you don't. So thank God it's here. Thank God you can be here today. Amen. And along those lines, let me just mention a few things. First of all, um, what we say is very important to the security of our life for the future and for the future of our country. 
And I did a, uh, an extended teaching on the power of positive confession, learning how to manage your mouth. This is something most Christians have never learned to do. Do they love the Lord? Absolutely. Are they on their way to heaven? Absolutely. Have they learned how to manage their mouth? Not even close. Just listen to what comes out their mouth all day long, and it's obvious that they're giving the devil free ammunition, and he's taking advantage of it. So there's a two-part series. This is volume one, and there's a volume two. There are 12 CDs in this series. I went, I went into the Bible, and in great detail, I'm talking to the listener about how to manage your mouth and how to turn things around in your life or in the life of your children or in the life of your marriage, whatever it takes. Please consider that in your prayer time for an investment. And the other one, now more than ever, we need this, the power of peace. Peace. With the world the way it is, we're going to talk about some of this this morning, which, with the world the way it is and the way it's going, you need to have the peace of God, which the Bible says will guard your heart and guard your mind. And we need a guarded heart and a guarded mind in these last days with what's going on around the world and in this country too. So those are there. And please pray with us. This little thing, we did this a few years ago. We were building metal bunks in the Philippines for all of our pastors. We're having a youth conference in May. And as an example, 900 young people are going to be in my compound for three days. Pray for me. At any rate, the point being, you know, you got to put these people somewhere. So we had bunks built. We, we had this little thing made and uh, encouraged people to pray about helping us buy a bunk. Well, that project is finished. The bunks are all done. But now we're on to other projects. So we're still using these, but for different things. So what we need is we're looking for sponsors to uh, increase the security fence around our compound. Um, we need that. Okay, we have Americans living in the compound, of which one of them is my son. And there are, uh, you know, lewd fellows of the baser sort, as the King James talks about <laughs> in uh, in Osamas and uh, around. And so, you know, bottom line, we need our security fence increased. So we're looking for sponsors uh, by section by section along the walls to increase the security fence for the safety of the people inside the compound. So if this is something that you would like to help us with, there's... There's a financial figure on the back, and, you know, you wouldn't have to give this amount, but it's, it's a, you know, something to pray about. So if that's something that you can help us with, then we thank you in advance for that, and God bless you for helping us do that. Praise the Lord. So let me get this stuff out of the way and get to what I have in my heart to share. First of all, in November, we have an election. Now, we're not here to uh, trump anybody's political party, not to put too fine a point on it, but... For us today, as Christians, not Republicans, not Democrats, not independents, as Christians, you need to understand how important your vote is, number one, and number two, how to pray before the election takes place. And I was convicted by the Lord. I stand before you as a man that God pulled aside and said, stop complaining. Stop mumbling, stop grumbling about what is going on that you don't like, even if it is valid. Stop it. You're not going to change anything by doing that. If you learn how to pray for the nation, if you learn how to stand in the gap and intercede according to the scriptures, we can change things. We can change things. Okay. Um, I was at Rama last week 
attending the Winter Bible Seminar, and Pastor Hagen addressed this, so did Mrs. Hagen. And uh, if you can, you can go online and get some of what they taught. I would recommend it to you. But they brought up a vision that Brother Hagen, the original brother, Kenneth Hagen, Dad Hagen, he had in 1979 during a camp meeting service. After the service, they went to their hotel room for some snacks, and just the, fear, the Spirit of God fell on him. And, they, and he prayed in the Spirit from midnight until 4 a.m. in that hotel room. And during that visitation, God uh, corrected him, first of all, for not doing what he was instructed to do in 1970 when God told him to pray for the country, and he didn't. And many, many things happened between 1970 and 1979, which is when this vision took place, that Jesus told him, I won't get into the whole thing, he said, if you had prayed, these things would never have happened. Like Watergate, as an example. Some of you may be old enough to remember that, but he said that would never have happened. And he told Brother Hagin, he said, and I'm holding the church responsible more than the president for the mistakes he made. I'm holding the church more responsible for the failure to pray and prevent things like that from happening. So now here we are in 1979, and he's, he's with the Lord again in this vision. And the Lord said, if you pray like I told you to, there are things that are going to happen that shouldn't happen. But if you pray, they won't happen. So because he failed in 1970, he, he paid attention this time around. They interceded for the election in 1980. You remember who got elected in 1980? You remember that the next eight years were some of the best years this country has ever had. Okay? doesn't matter who the man is or the party he represents. The fact is people gave God a chance to work because the Christians prayed. All right? And if you remember, there was an assassination attempt in 1982, which was not successful. And the reason it was not successful is because people prayed. The devil tried, but he was unsuccessful. And if they had not prayed, that president would have been killed. This is the power the Christians have. This is the ability we've got to change things. But most Christians just sit around on their blessed assurance like I was doing, complaining about everything, but doing nothing to change it. Okay? Listen, we're not endorsing anybody. What we pray for is that God's person is put in that position of authority. That's how you should pray. Pray that God's will for this country be accomplished and pray that the right person be put in there. You don't have to pick a person. God knows who the right person is. Can you agree with that? He knows better than we do. Who, do we, who are we? We don't know. He does. But we've got the authority, not God, not Jesus. Jesus rebuked Hagan and said, if you had prayed, none of this would have happened. But you didn't pray, and so it did happen. So we've got power. We've got authority. So let me just give you a five-minute little, you know, encouraging word here along this. In November, we not only elect a president. You understand the entire House of Representatives is up for election, and many seats in the Senate are up for election, and somebody is going to replace the newly vacated position on the Supreme Court. Do you understand how important this election is in November for the future of this country? And I found myself on my knees, praying on my knees, God save this country from itself, because if it does not turn, judgment is going to fall. You just can't keep shaking your fist at a holy God, passing these laws that are an abomination to the, to the holy God we serve, and not expect judgment to fall on a country like this. It fell on the Romans, amen? It fell on every country that shook their fist at God, including Israel. So please, please, let me... Let me um, give you a little plug for a book okay if you want to read about that uh, visitation that jesus had with kenneth hagan they write about it in a book called the art of prayer written by kenneth hagan if you don't have the book get it 
Okay, go to a bookstore. It's 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 a it's you know it's been reprinted many times. So if you go to a Pentecostal bookstore, you might find it there. If you can't, go on Rama.org and order it, or you can read it as an ebook. It's available as a digital read or as a you know hard copy book. Get it and read chapter twenty four. Chapter twenty four. That's the chapter where he talks at length about that vision and what God told him. And Jesus told him in that vision, and this is what the Hagans brought up last week. He said, if you don't pray, I will hold the church responsible for what happens to this country. I will not hold the president responsible. I will not hold the Republicans, the Democrats, whoever. I'm holding the church responsible because they did not do what my word says for them to do. If my people who are called by my name, Second Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. And the land is full of secular people, by the way, unbelievers. But God said, I'll heal the land if my people pray, if my people turn, not the unbelievers. It's the, the body of Christ has the power to do this. And one more thing, friends, we are not electing a pastor-in-chief. We are electing a commander-in-chief. It is a secular position. There are many, many presidents that God has anointed who were not born-again people. All right, a lot of Christians have this idea in their mind that if it's not just the right Christian-type person, then I'm not voting. Listen, no vote is a vote. If you don't vote, the devil votes for you. So remember that, okay? And I take exception to people who disagree because I don't see the I don't see the the, the the logic in withholding a vote because you don't agree that the person is as Christian as you think he should be or she. I don't understand that mentality, and I take exception to that because no, we, how many countries in the world would give their left arm to have the power to vote around the world, and they can't. We can. And that, you know, look at the percentage of people that show up at the, uh, the polls on a voting day, you know, what, 10%, 20%? Imagine if all the Christians showed up. Just imagine that, what we could do as a country. All right, enough said. Praise the Lord. How many have their Bibles today or their Bible device, whichever you uh, prefer, if you have it? Turn with me to Mark chapter 8. As I was listening to Prophet Ratode speak last night about the importance of passion and fire, of course, I love any message that talks about these things because I've been preaching it all my life. It just uh, underscored uh, what God is having me to share in these meetings. This apostolic prophetic conference is what I call this. And uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Let's start there. The 8th chapter and the 31st verse. So find that in your Bibles. I'm reading from the New King James. Okay. He began to teach them that the Son of Man, this would be Jesus, he is teaching them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after that, three days rise again. Verse 32. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside, and began to rebuke him. Now, if you back up a few verses, Jesus had ju- has, has just commended Peter. You know, uh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed to you this, this truth, that I am the Son of God, but uh, my Father who is in heaven. So Peter's feeling pretty good about himself right now. I'm, I'm sure the head begins to swell. Let me tell you, these disciples did not always get along. 
Okay, there was friction between these guys, just like there is in church with staff members and things. Not everybody gets along with everybody else. Peter and John were constantly bickering throughout those three and a half years. Those two were at each other frequently, okay? So here's Jesus in the presence of John and in all the others, you know, publicly commending Peter. Good job, Peter. Really sensitive to the spirit there. You called it out accurately and, you know, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. So Peter's feeling pretty good about himself. He thinks he's got an in with Jesus now. So not 200 yards down the road, Jesus makes these statements about what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And Peter, now thinking he's got this special place with Jesus, pulls him aside and begins to rebuke him. But when he turned around, this is he, Jesus, verse 33. When Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. Why? He goes on. For you are not... Uh, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter was rebuked soundly by Jesus in the presence of everybody else, you know, because he was mindful of the things of men. He was not mindful of the things of God. And Satan had gotten in and was influencing Peter with statements like, you know, may it not be so, Lord, and may you not go to Jerusalem. We'll, we'll defend you, Lord. And Peter didn't realize he was being used by the devil. Jesus called him out on it. Listen, what I want to talk with you about this morning is identifying the things of God and avoiding the things of men. Because Peter was in this position where he was now yielding to the things of men and forgetting the things of God, and Jesus called him out on it. And in my travels, I've encountered many people that love the things of men and don't know much about the things of God. Do they love the Lord? Yeah, in a, in a general sense. Sure they do. They're saved. They've accepted him as Lord and Savior. So we know that and we're thankful for these things. But further on down in their relationship with the Lord, they've never really come to a place where they've been able to identify the things of God versus the things of men. And we need to grow beyond that in these last days, in these terrible times, perilous times is what the Bible describes them to be. You better be able to identify the things of God and avoid the things of men because the things of men will pull you down. They will neutralize your capability for the Lord. They will sap you of your anointing and you will become nothing more than a body in a chair on Sunday morning in somebody's church singing a few songs, feeling good about yourself, dropping a couple bucks in the basket, going out the door and blending back in from Monday until Saturday until next Sunday when we repeat the process over and over again. That's not the way God intends for us to live our lives, and that's not the way this church, praise the Lord, should live their lives in Jesus' name. Can anyone say amen? amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, so go with me to Philippians. Let's spend a few verses in Philippians, chapter number 2, and then we'll look at chapter 3 for a minute. Chapter 2, verse 21, if you would. Philippians, chapter 2. And look at with me at verse number 19. We'll start there. And we'll read down to verse 21. This is Paul talking to the Philippian church. He says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state or your condition. Verse 21. For all, that would be all in the Philippian church, all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. In other words, He's rebuking the Philippian church because most of them, or 
as he says, all of them are seeking their own things, their own priorities, their own goals and objectives, the things of men, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. This was a problem that Paul addressed frequently in the letters he wrote. Okay, now go with me to chapter 3. Thank you, Jesus. Chapter 3. Hallelujah. And let's see, where do we want to go? Um, verse 19, or verse 17. Philippians 3.17, Paul continues, he says, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. See, these, these people used to be on fire for the Lord. They used to be walking with the Lord, is how he's describing them. Then in verse 19, look at this, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, that's not just a reference to food, but just carnality, and whose glory is in their shame. Listen, who set their mind on earthly things. Earthly things. That was Peter's problem. And Jesus called him out on it. You are not mindful of the things of God, he said to Peter. You're mindful of the things of men. So let's talk a little bit about these things, okay? identifying the things of God versus the things of men. First of all, quickly, and I'm not going to go, I, I have too many notes here. We, we could be here for hours, but we're not going to do that. Just let me help you identify the things of men in a nutshell. Things of men. Let's categorize them, okay? Each of these is a message unto itself. We don't have time for that today. So I'm just going to list for you what I have found in the Bible as things of men and then we're going to get back into things of God, which is where we ought to be in the first place. Okay, first of all, our lives are not defined by the possession of things, earthly things. You're not a successful person because you've been able to buy or acquire more things. And things do not define you as a believer that God can count on in the clutch. The people who have many things are not necessarily dependable for the Lord. Proverbs talks about the fact that... Uh, Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a tooth out of uh, a, a sore tooth and a foot out of joint. All right. So just having things doesn't make you of any value to God. Okay. Uh, Luke chapter twelve and verse fifteen says it this way. This was a, a rebuke that Jesus taught about. Okay. Let's go to Luke chapter twelve and verse fifteen. Thank you, Father. Okay. Um, Look at verse number 15, okay? Jesus begins this teaching here. It's the parable of the rich fool. Something that Prophet Ratod would enjoy reading, I'm sure. Verse 15, he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses or possesses. In other words, like things, things you buy computers, um, personal devices, phones, you know, all the things we, cars, you know, homes, furniture, clothing, things, things of this world, okay? A man's life does not consist in the abundance of these things is what he said. Then he goes on. He speaks a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully and he thought within himself saying, 
What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool. Listen, when God calls you a fool, you're in trouble. It doesn't matter if I call you a fool or you call me a fool, but if God calls you a fool, you better pay attention. God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself, or we could say in context, he who accumulates a bunch of things and is not rich towards God. You know, there's nothing wrong with making financial investments. We have a few. We don't have a lot, but we have a few, my wife and I. But just a few years ago, God once again pulled me aside and jerked some slack out of my pants. And reminded me, if you want to be smart about your investments, my friend, you should be investing more in the kingdom of God. Not in the world out there where it is at risk to be lost, stolen, whatever. Okay? Anybody that invests out there in the stock market, before you put your money down, they always have that little disclaimer on the documentation saying past performance never guarantees future results. That's their legal out. In case you lose everything, it's not their fault. Even if they did things that were unethical or wrong or sinful or corrupt, it doesn't matter. If you lost everything, you're out of luck. They'll, they'll tell you that. When you invest in the things of God, you, you, your, your investments are protected in this life and in the next. Are you listening? Yeah. And so my wife and I made radical changes with how we were investing our money about two years, year and a half ago. We just, you know, I mean, we don't stop investing in the things of the world, but we have radically shifted priorities and the percentage of our investments now are in the things of God because not only did Jesus promise that those things will gain rewards for us in heaven, but they're also enable God to do things down here and we'll get rewards for that too. Amen. If I fund a, a prophet and he goes somewhere and leads people to Jesus and my gifting enabled him to go, I get the same reward he gets. Amen. See, eternal. So it's just food for thought. But my point to you is this. The accumulation of things means nothing to God. We need to have things to win souls. We need to have things to build churches. We need to have things to continue outreach. But after that, God could care less. Well, God wants me to have an abundant life. He does. But for what purpose is my question. For what purpose does he want us to have an abundant life? Is it just so we can impress everybody with what we buy and have and they don't? And so we can walk around and let everybody know how prosperous we are because we've acquired all of these things and they don't have. Or is it for the purpose of winning souls, helping prophets and apostles and pastors win souls and reach out to their communities and things of this nature? So, okay. First of all, our life is not defined by the possession of earthly things we have. No matter what you've got today, thank God for it. But listen, that does not in any way make you a better or a lesser person compared to someone sitting next to you. Number two, things of this world are worthless. This is Psalms 119.37. I'm not going to take time to refer to the verses. Just mark them down. Things of this world are worthless as far as God is concerned. Okay? You might be driving a $250,000 car as far as God's concerned. It's no different than a Volkswagen Beetle. It's just a piece of metal. 
take, taking you from point A to point B. Maybe it's got some more bells and whistles, but it's still just a vehicle taking you from point A to point B. Okay? Worthless. Also, things of this world are temporary. Things of this world <coughs> excuse me, are temporary. They're not permanent. They always change. Things rust out, fall apart. You know, things that we used to be so uh, enamored with 10 years ago now, it's just a piece of junk, okay? The uh, iPhone today will be iJunk tomorrow. They'll come out with a new version, you know, iJunk, okay? The cars, you ever see those cars all crushed on the flatbed semi-trucks heading off to the scrap, scrap dump? Some of those cars I used to drool over in my youth, you know. You take them to the park and park under a tree and wax them all day long. Yeah, I remember I did it. Okay, some of those cars are just nothing but a pile of junk. Now, where did they go? Everything in this world is temporary. Never forget that. Things of the eternal world are permanent. Things of this world are always changing, always. Okay, also, things of man are deadly and deceptive. Jesus talked about this in Mark chapter 4. Things of this world are deadly and they are deceptive. Okay, deceptive food, deceptive dainties, deceptive things. Okay. Things of this world are run under the control of the enemy, the devil, and his sole purpose is to neutralize you and, if possible, kill you. That's all he's here for. He has no distractions whatsoever. He hates you, and he wants to drag you to hell if he can. If he can't, the next best thing is to kill you. And if he can't do that, the next best thing is to neutralize you so that you have no effect for the kingdom of God. Okay? So deadly and deceptive things, all right? Anything of this world... If you let it, will take you farther away from God, okay, including sin. Sin, by the way, will take you to places you don't want to go. It will keep you there longer than you want to be, and you'll pay a price you never thought you'd pay. Sure. Be careful with sin. And number four, along the lines of the things of men, things of the earth are cursed. This planet is cursed. Anything that comes from this planet is cursed because the ground is cursed. That's why our bodies grow old and die. Have you ever wondered why we grow old? Which, by the way, sucks. <sighs> when you start to see all the wrinkles showing up, you can Botox yourself all you want. You can't stop it. It's a curse. Okay, and people spend thousands and tens of thousands of dollars trying to uh, delay the inevitable. What a waste of money. You can't change it. Okay? The world, the planet is cursed because of what Adam did. And until Jesus comes and lifts the curse, everything on this planet is cursed along with it, okay, including our bodies. The flesh and blood body is dead to sin. That's why it dies. When we go to heaven, the flesh and bone body that we get in replacement to this thing will live forever, all right? It'll be perfect. There'll be no scars. There'll be no marks. There'll be no... Uh, you know, imperfections, it'll be a perfect body the way it was intended to be from the beginning. But the reason that it's not now, the reason we have deformed babies and handicapped people and all that happens is because the world is under a curse. Everything on this planet is cursed. Anything that comes from the planet, like metal, fabrication of things, that's why things rust, because it's all cursed. Point being, things of men are to be understood not to be worshipped. 
And you need things in this world because we're in the world, but Jesus said we're not of the world. We're here. We have a job to do, so let's do it. And we need things to do that. You need hollow blocks to build buildings. You need steel. You need a car to get to a meeting. You need, you know, whatever you need, we need them. But don't end up worshiping those things because that does not define you. The things of God define us. Nothing else. Okay, so let me go back and talk about the things that are really important, the things that Peter missed and got rebuked for it back in Mark chapter number 8. First of all, let's talk about things above. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Here's what Paul tells the Colossian church and the Holy Spirit tells everybody, not just Paul and the Colossians. It says, if you then were raised with Christ, how many are born again here this morning? You've accepted Jesus. Good. You've been raised with Christ. He's talking about you. All right. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are where? Up, above. Seek those things. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things where? Above. Not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5. Therefore. Notice the word therefore. Because we're supposed to be thinking about things above because we are supposed to be seeking things above. Therefore put to death your members, which are on the earth. And here's the expression of it. Fornication uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, blah, blah, blah. On we go. But the point taken for us today is first of all, things of God are things above. Things above, not things below, not things level with our eyesight down here. It's above. Things of God are always higher. And it's important that we understand this. In Isaiah, God said it this way. My ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than yours. All right. This is why if you give God a chance to function in your life, miracles happen. Things you can't explain take place. Okay. Things that you didn't expect happen. Things that you thought would happen don't. Okay? Because you're concentrating on God's ways, which are higher than our ways. Okay? Higher laws, higher truths are in the spirit world that override the laws of this world. Okay? I've laid hands on people who were blind and they've been healed. Medically, that's not possible. I've laid hands on people who were crippled, and in front of hundreds and thousands of people, we've watched those arms straighten flat out, the legs that were twisted with polio turned flat down on the ground, the feet flat down on the ground, the crutches fall out from under their arms, and they walk off the stage. That's not possible. But it is when you concentrate on the things above, because those things are laws that are higher than these down here. The spirit world is the parent. The physical world is the child. Everything is subject in this world to the laws of the other world, the higher world, okay? And when you live your life thinking about and meditating on things above, 
your whole life changes. Everything changes. Your priorities change. You're no longer concerned about how I'm going to pay my electric bill and how I'm going to pay my gas bill and how I'm going to fund my child's education and all of these things that people pine away over. Don't need to. Uh, you know, listen, we could go through the whole Bible here. Uh, Romans 8.2. Just write these verses down. Romans 8.2, which says the law of life is higher than the law of sin and death. Okay, that's one. Romans 8.2. Then here's one. Galatians 5.6. The law of love is higher than the law of faith. See? You got to know which laws are higher than other laws in the spirit world. And the Bible tells you which ones are. Okay? The law of love is higher than the law of faith. That's Galatians 5, 6. Here's another one. Romans 3:27, which says, the law of faith is higher than the law of works. Okay? The law of faith is higher than the law of works. Okay? We don't get saved by works. We get saved by faith. Okay, and works follow. All right. Here's another. Second Timothy two six. The law of replenishment is higher than the law of expenditure. Meaning to say, I wrote a book on this. It's called Be Strong, Stay Strong. If you don't replace the spiritual energy you expend when you pray or when you stand your ground for God, that energy will go down like the gas in a gas tank when you drive in the car. You gotta put more gas in that car or that thing's gonna come to a stop. And the law of replenishment states that if you don't replenish yourself spiritually, you're going to burn out. May take 10 years, may take 15 years, but you'll, it'll be a, it, you'll end up as an empty seat in a chair where you used to sit on fire for the Lord, and now you're burned out and you're mad at God, you're mad at the pastor, you're mad at the world. What happened to you? You didn't replenish the spiritual energy you were using as you followed God day by day. It's called the spirit of the law of replenishment, which is higher than the law of expenditure. That's one. Here's another. Proverbs 8.11. Proverbs 8.11. Wisdom wealth is higher than monetary wealth. You want to be a wealthy person? Be a wise person. Because the Bible says the wiser you are, the wealthier you are. From God's perspective. Wisdom wealth is higher than financial wealth. Let me tell you something. People like Bill Gates, people that we know are zillionaires, if they don't know Jesus, they are paupers and they are bankrupt. They just have a lot of things or a lot of money to buy a lot of things. That's all they are. When they die, their death, when they start to descend, it'll be no different than the dude that lived under the bridge and ate dog food all his life. And once you start going down, your money can't reverse your direction. There's nothing you can do. Three seconds after you die and you leave your body and you start going down and you cry out, you're, it's too late, Jack. It's too late. And all your money and all your assets and all your buildings and all of this means nothing. Nothing. Wisdom wealth, much higher than earthly wealth, okay? So things above. God's ways are higher than our ways. That's number one. Number two, things ahead. First of all, things above. Now, things ahead, ahead of us. What is this? This is the manifestation of our faith. This is our hope, okay? Um. How many are standing in faith this morning for something from God? You prayed about something, you, you believe in God, you know, whether it be money or health or whoever, whatever. Okay. Things ahead. Yes, sir. Those are things ahead. Yes, sir. Okay. I've got my faith out there for things in the Philippines, things ahead of me, yes, things that aren't there yet, but things that I believe are there by faith. Okay. We finished a dormitory three years ago. It took us 20 years to build it. Because God said, do not borrow money for this. So we never borrowed money for it. 
I refuse to put myself in debt to a bank or to a secular institution, whatever. And brick by brick, we built it. Took us 20 years, but now we own a four-story structure worth millions, and we don't own a dime on it. Took us 20 years, but you'll always outlast the devil if you keep your eyes on things ahead, not things behind. That's part of what's in that book. Get your eyes on things ahead. Never mind the things behind you. Failures can be covered by the blood of Jesus, and when they are, they're gone. Quit going back over the mistakes of the past, condemning yourself over and over again because of mistakes and sins committed. If you gave them to the Lord, leave it there. He forgot about it. He washed it away. Why won't you? You're just playing. You're giving the devil free ammunition. Well, I did this and I did that and I did this. God will never use me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Nobody's perfect except Jesus. Everybody. Paul made mistakes. All of these guys. Look at David. God, that's another message all by itself. David, the things he did, and he was called a man after God's own heart. Things ahead, the manifestations of our faith, which are protected by our hope. All right, look at some examples. Look at Joshua 6, verse 1. Joshua 6 and 1. Thank you, Jesus. Joshua 6 and verse 1. Great story here. It says in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1, this is uh, Joshua standing in front of the great walls of Jericho. It says in the first verse, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. Nobody went out. Nobody came in. The walls are there. The gates are closed. The city is cut off. And the Jews are standing outside. And God says, you need to take this city. Well, how are they going to do that? Verse 2, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, you ought to circle that word, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and all the mighty men of valor. And then verse 3, you'll march around the city, all you men of war, you'll go around the city once, this you shall do six days, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets, blah, 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 it tells them what to do. Okay, then... Uh, verse number five, it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Now that's impossible again. But when you follow God, the impossible becomes possible. Okay. Those walls were huge. And they had archers on the walls and spearmen and all of this. In the natural, they can't take that city. The city is shut up. The gates are closed. Okay. But God said, if you do what I tell you to do, walk around the city once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, walk around the city seventh time, don't say a word. Don't open your mouth. Don't say a word. When I command you to blow the trumpet and shout, shout. And when you do, the walls fall flat. But see, before all of that took place, he said, see, I have given you. That's faith. That's, that's what things ahead are all about. He said, I have given you. And we can take that into New Testament times and say, see, I've given you healing. See, I've given you financial independence. See, I've given you a wonderful a husband to be uh, married to or a, a beautiful wife who loves God. I see, I've div- see, see, I have given. This is how things ahead become things that I possess. Things ahead. Things above, number one, things ahead. Okay? 
Jesus made the classic statement in Mark chapter 11, okay? Whosoever shall pray, okay, and believe that those things he prays shall come to pass, he shall have what he prays for. Go back and read it, Mark chapter number 11, okay? Point being, for us today, things ahead are things of God. There's so many verses we could quote for this, but for time we'll just move along. Number three, third thing of God, third thing among the things of God would be things added. Number one, things above. Number two, things ahead. Number three, things added. I mentioned this last night in our closing comments before we all sent you home. Matthew 6, 33 says, if you seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things are added to you. All the things the Gentiles seek. Step back and look at what the Gentiles, that means the unbelievers for us, what are they seeking? What do they want? More money, more things that their money can buy, more gadgets, more devices, a, a nicer car, at least a dependable car. You know, most of the Christians that I meet, you know, they could use a better mode of transportation. Okay? That doesn't mean we have to buy a Lexus, but at the same time, if you have one, fine. But again, it doesn't matter. Just make sure it's dependable. A lot of Christians I know, their cars are held together with Christian bumper stickers. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And every time they turn the car on, there's that big blue glory cloud at the back end, you know. Not a very good community witness. Whatever we need to do the job for God to finish our assignment and run our race, God will add it to our life. Add it. You won't have to find it. You won't have to beg and borrow to get it. He'll add it. He'll find you. How many know where, how many believe God knows where we live? Yeah, he'll find you. Okay. I was not looking for a perfect woman to marry, but God sent one into my life. I wasn't looking for Ethel, but Ethel was there when I needed to know because I purposed in my life to follow the things of God and I could care less about the things of men. And when you take that attitude with God, good things happen. You meet the right people. You're in the right place at the right time. Favor follows you like a shield. Amen. You don't have to beg and borrow the bank for money and all of this. There's nothing wrong with a loan. I'm, I'm not saying there is. I'm simply saying, you know, you don't have to be beholding to people because God will add things. He just said so. Okay? Things added. All right? Look with me at Job 22:28. Job 22:28. My friend Job. Job 22:28. Here's what you know, Job made some mistakes. Job made some statements that were inaccurate. We know this, but he, he got it together there at the end. Really did. And he says, listen to this, Job twenty two twenty eight. Now, this is Job talking. This is Old Testament. Listen, you will also declare a thing, and it will be established for you. You talk about the power of positive confession. Listen, you can declare a thing, and it will be established for you. Okay? God will add it to you. Declare it, and he'll add it. I'm declaring things in the Philippines. I expect God to add to my ministry so we can do the things I'm declaring. He'll add those things. Okay? How is he going to do it? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't need to know. And you don't need to know. It's not a, we, we don't have to know how God's going to do things. This is where we trip ourselves up because we start trying to figure it out. Well, now, wait a minute. I'm just living here in Norfolk. How's God going to, you know, well, I'm not, you know, forget all of that. God knows where we live. 
He's got ways to add into our life if we just commit our lives to him and quit playing games. Hallelujah. Quit playing church. Quit just showing up on Sunday morning and opening up our Bible and falling asleep during the sermon or, you know, secretly text messaging people while we're, you know, uh, while the pastor's trying to give us a life-changing message that would address all the problems we're text messaging about. But no, we got to call Sister Doodad and let her know what's going on. Be funny if it wasn't so sad. You know, that's why I don't pastor a local church. I'd end up in jail. It's not a good place to be trying to witness to your friends in the community. <sighs> things above, things ahead, things added. Okay. James chapter 4, verse 2. What's that say? We have not because we ask not. What are you asking for from God? Not complaining. What are you asking for? Things will be added. But the caveat to that is, are you passionate for God like Prophet Ratod talked about last night? Are you on fire for the things of God? Or are you just a Sunday morning Christian? Sunday morning believers can ask for things until their tongue falls out. Things aren't going to be happening. But you sell your soul to God. You sell your soul to the word of God. And you watch God move heaven and earth for you. Thank you. I'm living proof of it. And if he does it for me, honey, he'll do it for you. Because he is no respecter Amen. of persons. Right. Well. Amen. All right. Things above, things ahead, things added. And now, number four, things unseen things unseen you know right now in this building there are thousands of angels in here right now you don't have to ask them to come they're here when you were born an angel was assigned to you that angel will be with you until the day you leave this earth everywhere you go you have angelic escort everywhere you are you are never alone ever just because you can't see him doesn't mean he isn't there I can sense them from time to time in my life. Not all the time, but sometimes I can sense their presence. They're walking with me while I'm walking here. I can sense their presence. They're behind me. All around, all along the side of the walls, there's angels right now. They love to listen to the word of God. The Bible says they hearken to the word. You want your angels to do things for you? Start speaking the word out your mouth. They stand there with their arms folded when all we do is complain about how difficult things are, mumble and grumble. They'll stand there with their arms folded, rolling their eyes, looking at each other like, when will this turkey get his act together? Yeah, you know, think about what God has made available to us. Angelic escorts, okay? Things unseen. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter Four, verse 17. Okay. Uh, let's begin with the 16th verse. Let's back up to verse 16. Let's read that, okay? I see some people still turning. I'll give you a moment to get there. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. This is Paul talking. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. I could translate, we don't give up. We don't become discouraged. Okay? I don't understand discouraged Christians. I don't. Uh, why are you discouraged, I would say? Well, so and so, such and so, so. You're on your way to heaven. Every day, you're one day closer to seeing Jesus. Why would you be discouraged about anything, ever, for any person or any situation? Why would you allow that in your life? I don't understand Christian depression. Why would you be depressed about anything? 
We have Jesus. We're on our way to heaven. We are eternally secure. You should be shouting for joy every time you wake up in the morning. Yeah, but I'm going through hell. Go through it. On the other side is heaven, praise God. Forever. Think about forever for a moment. No end. You know, listen, no end, no end. You and I will never cease to exist. Do you understand that? Most Christians, I'm convinced they don't. Because we're born in a finite world in a dead-to-sin body that dies. We have cemeteries full of dead people. We have history full of dead people who live before us. And so we think this way because we don't know anything else. But you as a spirit will never cease to exist. Ever. There is no end to you. That is something to really wrap your mind around. And if you die lost, think about that. That's why I do what I do with the passion I have. Because this is not a gospel game we're playing. This is for keeps. People die, they go, they go to hell, and they never, ever, ever, ever get out. For our light affliction, he says, he says, we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. Your inward man should be renewed day by day. It doesn't matter what kind of hell you're going through. Verse 17, for our light affliction. <laughs> I love this. Light affliction, which is but for a moment. What's the moment? His life. His life. Compare that to eternity. What's 60 years? What's 70 years compared to eternity? Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Eternal weight of glory. Verse 18. Here it is. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Your spirit is not seen. You are a spirit living in a body. We see the body. We don't see you. You don't see me. You see the body I'm presently living in. It's dead to sin just like yours is. And someday we get to throw this thing off and go to heaven and be encased in a perfect flesh and bone body with no flaws, no scars, no handicaps, nothing. And it will glow with the glory of God for all eternity. And the more souls you win, the brighter it glows. Think about some of this stuff from time to time. Amen? Instead of Rachel Ray's memory, menu book or whatever else people spend all their time with. Listen. <sighs> uh, it may be. Can you make some potpourri for me? Rachel Ray, whatever. I, you know, it's, it's, I, whatever. The things which are temporary, they are temporary the things which we see your body is temporary you may be looking good today but check yourself out 30 years from now <laughs> one day you know I, I you know i used to look in the mirror and say yeah that's what i'm talking about and then you know one one day i looked in the mirror and said you got to be kidding <laughs> boring but god loves me yeah i had hair back then you know what when i get to heaven you talk about things unseen when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a head of hair so thick, you'll think it's Absalom coming down the road. Or Moses. I'll, look, I'll come right up to you. You won't recognize me. I'll say, it's Brother Mike. What? Yeah, see, I practice. 
all the time. Carry combs in my man purse, you know, all kinds of things. Praise the Lord. All right. Don't look at the things which are seen. Things which are seen are always changing. Things which are not seen are eternal. Right now in this room, thousands of angels, and they're loving what they're listening to, and they're loving the fact you're here. Amen. Amen. And there may be a few demons in here too, but we'll throw them out. Point being, you know, the more we spend time around God's word, the more we worship the Lord, the more we torment the enemy. He hates it. I love it. When he tries to come to my house, I say, sit down and shut up. I'm going to praise the Lord. Don't you go anywhere. You try to torment me with lies, sit down and shut up. I'm going to praise the Lord for 40 minutes, and you're going to sit there and listen. Amen. See, you can torment the unseen. You can torment demons. Jesus, you know, the the madman of Gadara ran up to Jesus and said, we know who you are. You're the son of God. And the question was, have you come to torment us before the time? My answer is absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, you know, Jesus said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. No one loves me. I'm all by myself. That's not what Jesus said. That's why my my counseling sessions are about 37 seconds long. (coughs) Jesus is with you always. You're never alone, so don't say you're alone because you're not. If you are, he's a liar. We know he isn't. He's there. The angels are always with us. They don't take a break. They're not over at, you know, Hilton Head on a vacation for three weeks. They're with you. No matter where you are, they are. The Holy Spirit is living in our heart. Do you understand that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that the third person of the Trinity lives in you? The third person of the Trinity? Well, how can he live in you and live in me at the same time and live in everybody else? I have no idea. But I didn't create the universe. He did. How does he create a universe out of nothing but faith? I have no idea. How can he listen to everybody's prayers simultaneously and not be the least bit bit confused? I have no idea, but he can. It's nice to know that when I pray, he doesn't get my prayers mixed up with some dude in Nigeria. (laughs) You know, or someone over in Iran, you know, Rahib is praying to Jesus and he gets his prayers messed up with mine. No, thank God he can listen to Rahib and get it all sorted out there in Calcutta and he can listen to me here in Norfolk and get that all sorted out. How can he do that? I don't know. How can the Holy Spirit be in you and me and not be a thousand Holy Spirits or a million of them? I have no idea, but he can do it. And then we worry, you know, if you can give me a job or can you help me out, dear Lord, a couple bucks, you know, to pay the light bill. (sighs) Dear Jesus. Angels all around. Remember the story in Second Kings chapter 6? You know, the prophet prayed, Lord, what's happening? What's happening? The, prophet, the king was complaining. Oh, my God, look at the enemy soldiers. They're all around the city. And the prophet says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Well, his physical eyes are already open because he's looking at the enemy. That's why he's so afraid. And the, the, the prophet said, Lord, open his real eyes, his spiritual eyes. And he opened his eyes, and the mountain was full of chariots and horses and angels everywhere and flames of fire. Are you listening? Listen, would you be able to face problems in your life with Jesus Christ standing next to you and you could see him? Would that, would that add a note of confidence, a little spring in your step? If the Son of God was standing next to you and you approached the problem or the devil that's trying to, you know, whatever in your life and there's Jesus, well, the good news is he's there. You just can't see him. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. All these statements. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Things unseen. Glory to God. Amen.
There's so many things to talk about. Is this helping anybody today? I don't know about you, but I preach myself happy. Glory to God. Amen? Never mind the things of men. They're temporary. They're deceitful. They're deadly. They're, they're just worthless. All right? And your life does not consist in the things of men. Your life will consist in the things of God and the things you do for him in his name. And those rewards you get, you will never lose them. Nobody can steal them from you. They'll never rust away and fall apart. They are protected in heaven for you. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Do you, have, do you know you have a condo in heaven, a new Jerusalem place with your name on the door? A log cabin for you, perhaps, yes. With guns for your kids, praise the Lord. There will be a firing range in the new Jerusalem. The children can blast away to their heart's content, praise the Lord. Point being, look at what all, all here we are down here, you know, pining away, wringing our hands, rolling our eyes, worried about this and worried about that. It's an insult to God. Let's not insult him anymore with any worry about the future. Let's be concerned about the things of God, never mind the things of men. Let's not be like Peter. Amen. I don't need God telling me I'm Satan because I'm mindful of the things of men rather than the things of God. You know, if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, okay, I got it. I missed it. But did you have to call me Satan in front of everybody else? That's a tad over the top, don't you think, Jesus? But that's how God sees these things, okay? Praise the Lord. So many, there's a whole list of things here, but we don't have time for all that today. Point being, things of God. Identify those things. Prophet Ratoad talked about last night, the passion. Where's the passion? Where's the fire? Okay? Where's the passion? Where's the fire for the things of God? What, what happened? When I got saved, I couldn't stop talking about Jesus. Amen? And now 37, 38 years later, it took me two years to get out of the secular world and into the full-time ministry. 38 years later, I'm still on fire for the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I was born and raised in Cleveland. And Cleveland, Ohio. You know, sports fans, sports teams, you know, home of the Browns. <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> Point being, you know, you got to get past all of that. And just, it doesn't matter who wins the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter who wins the World Series. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. It used to matter to me, you know. And talk about passion, you know. Listen, when you go to the ball game and it's 10 degrees below zero and you have no shirt on with your team's letters, you know, written all over your shirt, your skin, I should say, because you took your shirt off and your hair is dyed blue because that's the color of the team. And then they criticize us for praising the Lord and worshiping him with our hands in the air. Really? And you think we've got a problem? Hallelujah. Amen. Listen, don't back up for your Christian faith. Don't apologize for serving Jesus. Excuse me. I'll make you back up. Amen. Jesus got in everybody's face. Let them know just exactly what's going on. And you need to do the same. The things of God are more important than the things of men.